Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Hey, um, tonight I want to talk about dreams. Wow, did you see that? I want to talk about dreams and um and how God wants us to step, he wants us to carry dreams and he wants to have the sense like our life is moving forward to a place where we're moving into the dreams God's put in our heart and the dreams that kind of fulfill the person that we're created to be. And just a bit of a context, so back at the end of August and September, I did a bit of a trip overseas that sounds a bit strange. It started in Mexico and it finished in Denmark. And it was kind of bookended by a couple of experiences that kind of reinforced this. So if you flick up the first slide, this is Mexico. They definitely doesn't look like Danish people. So that's Mexico. And um, <clears throat> the woman in the middle at the back with the glasses, so um, she's, she's in her mid-40s now. So her and her husband, have, they've been in Mexico 21 years. For most of that time, they ran like community children's ministry with poor kids around Mexico City, and five years ago, they felt God call them to plant a church, so they planted this church, and they heard I was heading to, um, to England for the Axe Europe Conference, and they asked if I could stop over for the fifth anniversary of their church plant and be there for this weekend. Um, so I went there, and, and this was kind of at their fifth anniversary. The interesting thing is, um, it's my wife Christine at the front here, we knew her uh, when she was a teenager, shows how old we are, um, when we were the youth leaders and someone who's that old. But, um, but the weird thing is, I don't know why I remember this, but we were um, youth leaders in Taranaki. And I remember at this camp, at this lodge on Mount Taranaki, for a, like a discipleship camp with maybe 40 or 50 teenagers, and, and going around this circle of young people and going, you know, what... What, what do you believe God's got for you? What do you, what do you what's your sense of call in your life? And I remember this, this 15-year-old girl saying, uh, I, I just believe I'm called to be a missionary in Mexico. And I don't know why I remember it, but I do. And so it was amazing to be there, like, ee, I can't even do the maths. Like close to 30 years later, is that right? And, and to see that it's, that it's happened. And it's like, and the funny thing is, like, she grew up on a dairy farm in Taranaki where you caught, is someone from Taranaki out there, was that? Uh, oh, the dairy farm thing, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, where, where she had to um, get, for school, catch a bus into the nearest town, which is Okato, which is a population of 600 people to go to school. It's like, how do you grow up on a dairy farm where your nearest town is 600 people and you dream that one day God's gonna send you to the biggest city in the world and he's gonna use you to touch there? Like, how does that happen? But somehow she caught this dream and, and to see it actually just wasn't a little... Um, Man, I can feel God's anointing on this already coming. It wasn't just a little dream or fantasy to actually see that it's come to pass and she's lived it out. And they've been there for 21 years now. And so when I was there, uh, end of August, I said to, I was, I was 
because I remember this, but I said to her, like, how did, how did you pick up this dream? And she said, it actually started when she was eight years old, that um, she, her parents used to, man, I feel God's anointings on this. Um, her parents were part of this uniting church, you know, one of those Presbyterian Methodist things. So she would go along Sunday school, you know, at the end of the year, they give out little books to the kids. Well, I don't know if they, that's what they used to do. And so the book that she got as an eight-year-old was The Life of Hudson Taylor. And as an eight-year-old, she read this book, and she said, that's what I want to do when I grow up. I want to be a missionary. But she didn't know where. And then when she was about 14 or 15, there was a big earthquake in Mexico City. Killed, I think, 10,000 people or so. And when that, that's the thing that grabbed her heart as a 15-year-old, and she went, that's where I want to be a missionary. And so as an eight-year-old, it's like, I'm going to be a missionary as a 15-year-old, and it's going to be in Mexico. And 30 years later, she's still living that out. <laughs> And it's like, man, when, when I, that's why I never despise when um, seeing children make responses to God or children saying they're going to give their lives to Jesus or teenagers. Because I know even for my life, that's as a, as a primary school kid just saying, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. And as a 15-year-old going to go, yeah, I'm actually going to give my life to serving Jesus. There's something holy when children and young people kind of make this commitment like, I'm for you, God. Because I know that God takes it seriously. And so it's like, oh my goodness, there's something in meeting with them, you know, in there. So if you flick up the next, oh, sorry, no, don't flick up the next one. So the funny thing was tracking her journey because um, when she was uh, year 13, uh, my wife and I took the short-term team to the Philippines on a mission trip. So she came with us and then... You know, she is just more and more convinced about this. So she actually lived with us when we were first married. But then this guy came on the scene. He was kind of interested. She's like, well, unless you're called to Mexico, this relationship's going nowhere, man. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, 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 I'm called to Mexico. So the funny thing is they ended up getting married. So I don't know if he ever was called to Mexico, but he's now been there 21 years because that was the price of being in relationship with this girl. And so he's either bluffed it for 21 years or he was actually called to Mexico. But she knew, like, if you want to be in relationship, I'm going to Mexico. And, and so if you flick out the next one, this was just part of their service. And then the next one, uh, that, that's the guy. So he's either bluffed it for 21 years or he was called to Mexico. But they planted this church in Mexico. And it was like, man, there's something about when someone gets a dream as a child and as a teenager in God and they go with it. And then, the, and then I finished up right at the north of Denmark and at this church and their church camp. And if you flick up the next one, there's this couple there. There's a young couple from Germany. And they're only 21 years old. They just got married. But they were at the Bible college in Denmark last year. And now they've gone to help work with this church in the north of Denmark. And so I was talking to them as well. Uh, her name's Marie. And I said to her, how did you end up in Denmark? Like I assumed... Being part of the college, she'd got to know this, um, the guy who's leading the church, and she wanted to be part of it. And she's like, I don't know why, but ever since I was a young child, I've, I've had this dream about I wanted to live in Denmark. I was like, that's amazing. And she said, in fact, my mum's got a photograph of me when I was like eight or nine, dressed in this clothes and with this Danish flag. I said, that's amazing. Can you send me a copy of the photo? And that, that's the photo on the left. That's her when she's like eight or nine, waving a little Danish flag. And it's like, again, as an eight or nine-year-old, something in his like, I want to live in Denmark one day. And now as a 21-year-old, and again, the poor guy, like, you want a relationship? I'm going to Denmark. Yeah, yeah, I'm called to Denmark, you know. 
feel sorry for us guys with these determined women, eh? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm called to Mexico. Yeah, yeah I'm called to Denmark. Well, it's the price of, uh, of love, apparently. Um, but anyway, so, so she's like, yeah, again, as a 21-year-old, to have carried a dream from a, a, a young girl and then to see it being lived out. So if you flick up the next one. So these two women, one in her early 20s, one in her late 40s, who just got a dream as a child to see it kind of reinforced as a teenager and then to see them living it out. And it's like, man, there's something about people who, care, who get hold of a dream in God and run with it. And I was just, I don't know, something, something kind of impacted me about the importance of that, of, of, of getting a dream in God and running with it. Uh, if you flick up the next one, I, and it's kind of not surprising that this should happen for Christians because, you know, in Acts it says, in the last day I'll pour out my spirit. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. It's like the most natural thing in God is as we spend time in the presence of God, we start dreaming dreams. We start seeing visions. We start declaring things that we believe God's going to do. And that that would even happen for children and, and young people. Never despise the statements of faith and dreams and visions of your children and your youth. Because there, there I was, 30 years later, visiting one of those 15-year-olds. Like, seriously, you're on a dairy farm on the outskirts of Taranaki. Where, how are you going to end up in the biggest city in the world leading a church? Well, she did. And it's like, oh my goodness, God, this is, these are God things. But I, I guess the other side of this is if you flick up the next one is, uh, you know, a thing that we often say where there is no vision or revelation, people cast off restraint. And again, that it's actually important to pick up dreams or visions because those two young women are good examples. The fact of a vision kind of gave focus to their life. So like, no, I'm not, I'm not interested in relationships with you if you're not going where I'm going. And, and that's why we need our young people to carry a dream or vision because it's going gonna, it's gonna to focus their and they're going to say no to things that distract them. But if you haven't got a vision, if you haven't got a dream, then you're open to whatever. And so that's why we all need a dream or a vision because it, it brings focus to our life and we naturally say no to things which aren't taking us towards dreams or visions. And so, uh, yeah, uh, you can see why God would, would plant dreams and visions in people. Because it just gives focus and direction. It, it aligns with what the Holy Spirit's doing. But here's the catch with it. If you flick up the next one. No, Jesus says this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. If God's agenda is to plant into your heart dreams and visions and prophetic words that would just fulfill your life, the devil's agenda is to steal that away, to kill those dreams and to destroy them. And the thing that I've realized, I think, is just as God knows, I, need a, I want to plant that in people when they're young, the devil knows I've got to damage that when they're young. I've got to hurt that when they're little. Because uh, I don't know if you know the story, if you flick up the next one, the, um, the story about the rope around the elephant's legs. Um, you know, they, they tie up adult elephants with these ropes. And here's the story about it. As a man was passing the elephants, he suddenly stopped, confused by the fact that these huge creatures were being held by only a small rope tied to their front leg. No chains, no cages. It was obvious that the elephants could at any time break away from their bonds, but for some reason they did not. That's not down the bottom. Flick up the next one. He saw a trainer nearby, asked why these animals just stood there and made no attempt to get away. Well, the trainer said, when they're very young and much smaller, we use the same size rope to tie them 
them, and at that age, it's enough to hold them. As they grow up, they're conditioned to believe they cannot break away. They believe the rope can still hold them, so they never try to break free. The man was amazed. These animals could at any time break free from their bonds, but because they believed they couldn't, they were stuck right where they were. I believe that the devil knows he's got to tie you up when you're little because, so that, because when you're bigger in God and you know what you're called to do, he could never hold you back. So he's got he's to persuade you. When you're little, he's got to damage that. He's got to tie you up in a way that stops you believing you could do this. And so tonight, I just, I just want to expose some of the lies that are holding you back from stepping into your purpose and stepping into your destiny. And part of what God wants to do is actually go back and, and we don't even realize they're there, but there are these ropes tied around our legs that actually, at, at who you are in God, at any minute, you could just step out and break that thing. But your condition when you're little, that you can't break through through from that. And God needs to come and to show you that you can. And I was doing a bit of research about this, and I found out that the story is even more disturbing. So the point is, you can't tie up an adult elephant. They just break free. But, but you tie up a little one, they struggle, they struggle, they can't break free. But here's what they do. I found out that, that men actually um, get sticks with nails in them and hit the elephants when they're little to wound them and to break their spirit when they're little, to put the fear of men in them. Because when they're adults, if a man came at a big elephant with a stick, it would just swat them away. But if they hurt them when they're little, they break their spirit. And then they can control them the rest of their lives. And I believe that the devil knows that too. He's got to hurt you when you're little to stop you believing who you are in God. And what you can be in God. And I believe part of our growth, our transformation is God needs to go back and set us free from the ropes, from the hurts, from the fears that stop us stepping into what God has called us to be. I believe tonight God wants to set some people free from that kind of stuff. Because God has purpose and significance and destiny for every one of us. But the devil tries to hurt us when we're little so we don't believe that we can do it. Um, you might think, well, I've never had dreams like that. Well, um, I've got some good news and some bad news. The good, the good news is often God doesn't work specifically by kind of dropping this dream. And how he normally works is by his will is wired into the very core of our being. Uh, and, and we discover God's calling by look at, looking at how he's wired us to be. So you flick up the next one. People often talk about discovering your sweet spot where your passion and your competency meet. I'm good at this and I'm passionate about this. And, and I feel it. It's like something comes alive when I'm in the zone doing this thing. And discovering God's will is less around looking into the future going, oh God, what's your will for me? And it's much more about looking back and going, when have I been in those sweet spots where, where I just felt alive and I was doing what I was called to be? I remember um, probably when I was seven, I think, at a, having to do this little school project. And part of this project, you had to get up at the end and explain it to the class. I can remember telling this joke and the whole class laughing and for the first time feeling what it felt, feeling what it was like to hold a crowd and feeling like, feeling alive in a way that I couldn't have named then, but looking back, go, I love communicating with people. I love this kind of thing and go, already as a seven-year-old, there it was. 
And it's like you're, you're, God's created you that there's a sweet spot between what you love doing and what you're good at doing that, whether that's organizing money, doing business. You know, you talk to some kids, they line up all their little toys and teach them or they line or they organize all their cars and lines or they, but it's wired into us. Uh, other people, another thing that you may have seen is um, Flickr, is this is, uh, Bill Hybels uses this around the network thing, discovering your calling. I have found this real helpful. He talks about, the where as your passion, the what as your gifting, and the how as your personal style. Uh, for me, the reason I found this helpful, for me, in my early 20s, I discovered my passion is mission. So Christine and I packed up our little 12-year-old son, charged off on a one-way ticket to the Philippines to go and live amongst the urban poor. And I found out I wasn't very good at that. And then we thought, okay, we'll go down to the southern Philippines and live in a place of civil kind of conflict with Muslim people and Discovered I wasn't very good at that either. And it took me a while to discover actually my passion is mission, but my gifting is in training. And, and to say, oh, this is where this all comes together. And then it's taken more time to go, oh, yeah, and the how, the environment for that. So we tried some other stuff that hasn't gone that well of leading. And I discovered, oh, I actually work best in a team where it's about mission and I'm training people. but other, And it's like everything comes together around this is my sweet spot. And we talked when the, the offering message, this idea of a steward. You are actually a steward of the person God has designed you to be. God's will is not so much something out there that drops from heaven. It's wired into you. And you and I are responsible to, to steward the person God has called us to be. Flick up the next one. This is a great famous quote. Vocation is the place where our deep gladness meets the world's deep need. This is the thing that moves me, but this is what I'm good at doing, and this is what I love doing. And when that all comes together, it's like, God, this is what you created me to be. This is how I'm wired. This is what I love doing. Look up the next one. Um, other people put it like this. You love it, you're great at it, the world needs it, and hopefully you get paid for it. And at the intersection of all that is purpose. It's like, oh, this, this is how life works. It's often not so much just a... a random dream drops from heaven, but it's like I'm on this journey where I discover more and more this is the person God's created me to be. Some of us, it took me in my 50s till all of that come together. Hopefully it comes together a bit sooner for some of you. Uh, but like this is what it means to pursue God. This is what it means to follow him. This is what it means to serve him. Plug up the next one. But here's the, that's the good news. So maybe the, well, I said, maybe you didn't have a dream. So the good news is, oh, God's, God's dream for you is already wired into who you are. Here's the bad news, though. I said if the devil knows that he has to hurt you, he doesn't, here's the thing. He's not just going to hurt you by robbing some random dream. He's got to hurt you by wounding you at the core of who you actually are because he's got to damage that that you actually believe this is the person that God created me to be. And so that's really upsetting because his work is not just some random, oh, you can never be a missionary in Mexico. His wounding is actually, you're a failure at this. You are no good at this. He's got to hurt you at the core of who you are. And that, that make, that's really upsetting then because his wound is really deep. And you see this in scripture. Um, 
Example, Joseph. If you know the story of Joseph, wherever you put Joseph, he gets dreams from heaven, he interprets dreams, and he manages his world. So uh, Potiphar's house, he manages the place, he's getting dreams. In the prison, he's interpreting dreams, he's managing the prison. Next day, he's managing, he's the prime minister of the known world, managing that and interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh. Wherever you put him, he's a dreamer manager. What do his brothers say when he's sent to check them out? Ah, here comes the dreamer. The very thing that he was graced to do was the thing that he got mocked for. Do you see what I mean? Often the very thing that is at the core of who you are is the thing that people will have mocked you and judged you about and the devil's tried to damage you. We've got a a guy um, from Germany at college this year. I was talking about this. He's got this dream. It came to him at Shout Conference. He was worship. He's wondering, what am I going to do? He sees this vision of this door uh, of a church and above it, it's Equippers Munich. Got a meeting with him tomorrow with Pastor Sam Monk. How are we going to launch Equippers Munich next year? He's a dreamer, but he was, I was talking, he said, all my life, my dad's just credit, like, yeah, oh, you're just a dreamer. Like, dang right, I'm a dreamer. And one day God's going to land a dream to plant a church in me. You know, Joseph, yeah, here comes the dreamer. You're right. And one day his dreams are going to open the door for him to be the prime minister of the empire of the world. You bet he's a dreamer. And some of you have been attacked all your life for the very thing that God has wired you to be. And that's the, that's the thing that I want to, that I want, I believe God wants to deal with tonight. There's another example. Flick up the next one. Moses. One day, uh, you know, when he's around 40, he sees this incident happening with the Jewish people. He gets in a fight, kills this person. The next day he comes out, he's trying to fix something else. This is what they say to him. Who made you ruler and judge? Ruler and judge. One day he's going to lead this nation out of Egypt and towards the promised land. One day he's going to go up onto a mountain and get the download of the law of God for a nation that's going to define its justice system for the next 3,000 years. He is precisely the ruler judge. And who made him that? God made him that. But that's what, like, who do you think you are? You're arrogant? You think, no, no, who made you ruler and judge? Yeah, he just got named precisely what he's a ruler judge. Joseph is a dreamer manager. Uh, Moses is a ruler judge. Do you see? The very thing that God has wired you to be is the thing that gets mocked and attacked. Here's another example. David, when they were anointing the son, looking for a king. Are these the sons? Oh, they're still the youngest, but he just looks after sheep. He's just someone who looks after flocks. Flick up the next one. When the story with Goliath, when he sent there, his, when his, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. Why have you come down here? Whom did you leave those few sheep? You're just someone who looks after a few sheep. And I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You, only, you came down only to watch the battle. All you do is look after a few sheep and you've got a wicked heart that likes hanging around battles. 
No, David is a warrior shepherd. Put him in charge of something, he'll look after it and he'll defeat the enemies. Put him in charge of some sheep, he'll look after the sheep and he'll kill a lion and a bear. Put him in charge of a nation, he'll defend the nation and he'll defeat their enemies. He's a warrior shepherd and it's precisely what his brothers mocked him for. See, when you flick up the next one, this is how it works. He chose David and took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep. He brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob. God's will just doesn't fall out of heaven. God's will has been wired into you from the day you were born. And all it is is a progression to another dimension when the same thing that you're wired to do, you find yourself operating in that sweet spot for God. But the devil knows that, so he's got to hurt you at that point, which is not something peripheral to who you are. It's at the core of who you are. And so it's like, that is, that is, um, that just makes me so angry because it's so hurtful that many of us, because we live in a broken world and we live in a world of evil spiritual powers, we live in a world where we're not just accused. It's fine if someone... It's fine if someone mocks me because I'm not very good at fixing cars. I know that, I don't care. But when someone mocks me at the core of how I'm wired to operate, that hurts and that damages me and that robs me and I end up like that elephant who's got a rope around my leg and been wounded at a place that I'm not going to move forward. And I want to tell you, some of you have been robbed of your purpose and your destiny because the devil has hurt you at the core of who you are. And you need to be redeemed and find out again, no, I was born for purpose. I was made to do this. You know, I was talking about this at the college in Denmark last year. You know, there's one woman who's just like, yeah, ever since I was a little kid, I was the one who had the clipboard. Other people were organizing the party, but I had the clipboard to, well, no, other people had the idea of the party. As a nine-year-old, I had the clipboard organizing the party. Like, I'm just a born manager. There was another girl, a young woman, she's great with music. She's like, yeah, I was the one who just loved dancing and singing and being up the front. And it's like, yeah, that's what you were born to be. Isn't it great in God's wisdom? He's made some people born to hold clipboards and some people born to twirl around and dance and be a spectacle. And they're both in their sweet spot. I um, mentioned this morning, I was speaking at the Vineyard Church's conference a few weeks ago at Grace Vineyard. I don't know if you know the guy, Barzi, who leads the worship. In the middle of the worship, he's doing these backflips. I was intrigued, I was just, in, I was watching him go, there was no, I think there's no element of pride. There's no performance display. He's just, he's just in the zone, just loving life, being the person God's called him to be. There's nothing more actually godly and holy than seeing someone operating in the sweet spot they were born to be in. And God's made you for that. Look up the next one. I don't know if you've seen this book. It's from the Bethel people, the in the healing people, Shifting Atmospheres by this woman, Dawna De Silva. I'll just go back for a minute. She, um, it's, this, it's, a, just a, it's a language that I find quite helpful. We can talk about um, a spirit or a stronghold or, or whatever, but she just used the word atmosphere, that, that we're actually, we live in worlds that have a certain atmosphere, and we're actually called to shift those atmospheres into kingdom atmospheres. 
But her point is this, we can't shift an atmosphere while we're still buying into it. We've got to establish a new normal of the atmosphere that we live under. And our life to get free to start stepping out and shifting like a Joseph, shifting the atmosphere of a nation, of a world, of David, of Moses. First of all, we've got to get free from the atmosphere that the devil's established in our life that's holding us back from that. This is what she says. Look up this. You know, ability to discern atmosphere, spirits, and mindsets first comes after we first establish our normal. By normal, I mean how we think and feel on a regular basis. Our normals are made up of the internal truths that govern our lives. These can be truths like God is good and he loves me all the time, or lies, false truths like nobody wants me or I am unloved. So you live in a certain atmosphere, but part of their journey in Jesus, some of that atmosphere is lies and wounds that the living in a fallen world and the devil has got into us. And we need to get free from them. Flick up the next one. Christians who have a healthy normal easily discern the enemy's atmosphere's lies because the voices feel foreign. When you walk into an, you know, just some examples from like up till even just a few years ago, any time I'd go to a Christian conference or big thing, I'd walk in and I'd feel like I don't really fit here. No one likes me. I don't belong. The point is that wasn't there. That was in here and in here. Do you see what I mean? You carry a certain atmosphere. I don't belong. I'm not worthy. Um, I was talking about this. Uh, with, uh, we did this at our students in college. You know, one of the students was saying all of her brothers and sisters, really talented, musical, creative. She was brought up going, oh, you're different. You're the ugly one. You imagine carrying that. Young woman, all her life, you're the ugly one. Another one, oh, you're the reject of our family. Those are the things that we carry you don't belong, you don't fit, you're never going to succeed, you're a failure. Because those are the, the, the devil knows he's got to get that rope around our leg when we're little. So we think, I could never step out and be successful. I could never be happy. It might work for everyone else, but it's not going to work for me. I'm the exception. I'm going to be the failure. I'm never going to be happy. People aren't going to like, and it's like, that's what God wants to set us free from so that we can pursue our dreams. Um, yeah, flick up the next one. So just she, next one, next one. Another image, people, it often, here's the really creepy, weird thing. Even though it's negative, it kind of feels familiar like an old coat, and we end up coming into partnership and agreeing with these things because it kind of feels more normal to feel like I don't really belong here than to go, I need to let this thing go. I don't want this anymore. I need to choose to let this go. Um, how are we going for time? I gave an example. You might have heard this before, but a few years ago, um, oh, two years ago, at Shout Conference, uh, uh, it was called Prophesy, and it was like, we're going to hear from God. And I was like, okay, God, I believe I'm going to hear from you. And then, and then it was fine, but I wasn't kind of getting anything specific. And then I woke up one morning, and I felt God say, oh, this session this afternoon, this is the one I'm going to speak to you. I was like, Awesome. And go on, this one I'm going to go and sit right out the front because I'm going to hear from God. And then it was a guy, Michael Maiden, and he stands up and he goes, oh, it was a men's session. He says, I want to talk about anger. I was like, oh, you're joking, God. You're going to do this now? Like, here? <laughs> really? And then at the end, he's like, okay, if you know you need to deal with it, I want you to stand up. I was like, why did I choose this session to sit right out the front? And it's like, oh, bother. And so, um, 
and thought, no, I want to hear. So I was like, stand up. I was like, okay, God, why am I angry? And he, I just felt one word. He just said independence. Now you, you, some of you might know the story. So I grew up, my dad was in and out of jail when I was little and then left when I was nine. I obviously don't remember this, but I'm told that he, I'm the oldest, that he never arrived to pick up my mum from the hospital when I was born because he'd been arrested and was in jail. So she had to take me out, find somewhere to live, all that kind of stuff. For my ninth birthday, I got a watch. Came home from school the next day. My brother said, oh, mum wants to talk to you. Went up to see my mum. She said, oh, dad's gone. The very first thought that came to my mind is, I'm going to need to sell my watch. How many? That's not a good thought. Very first thought for a nine-year-old who's heard that his dad's there. The point is, it was already wired into my being. You've got to look after yourself. You don't let people get close because they'll hurt you. And, that, and so again, two years ago, I've been a Christian a long time, but to go, man, this, in, this holding, this, in, this is hurting me, and I don't want to partner with this anymore. I, I want to let this go off my life, because it's damaging my life. And there's a choice, like, it's familiar, but I, I don't want this anymore. And it's like, yeah, there's a rope, but it's kind of got familiar. There's a wound, but it's kind of comfortable. I know how to live like this. It's actually a bit scary to choose to put this thing off. So I just want to quickly go through some things where she talks about this, according to the book, and what I want you to do is just if the Holy Spirit just triggers anything for you, like, oh yeah, that's an issue. We're going to pray for people at the end, but just to see, on the left is what they call, no, no, go back, go back, healthy normal. Like, this is what the Bible says. And so again, if it strikes you, remember what she said, you can't change another atmosphere till you've established the new one. So if this doesn't feel natural, that's a problem. Well, it's not a problem, it's the area of growth because all of us are in this journey, but that, to, to realize, oh yeah, I've still got a rope around me around this issue. I'm wearing a, a, a coat that's familiar, but it's not actually godly. I've got a wound at this point. So, for, so healthy normal, according to the scripture, is, I'm a, is to feel accepted. I'm a child of God. My colleagues value me even when we disagree. That's the iron sharpens iron thing. I'm accepted. It's all good. I belong. Whereas the unhealthy normal is rejected, I feel like God doesn't even know that I exist. No one wants to hear my opinion. Um, no, you know, that it's normal. Yeah, relationships are going to fail. People are going to reject me. That's just normal. Don't expect anything better and then you won't get hurt. No, cynicism is just hurt idealism. Don't, don't buy into that. And so if you go, some of you were wounded early with this rejection. It's like, no, I don't want to carry that anymore. I want to establish a new normal in my life that says I'm accepted. Come on, there's a new beginning for some people. This could be your new normal. You can't even imagine, see, when we name it, to feel like this cloud, like that's something that's got tighter and that's not God's normal. God's normal is I'm accepted. Here's another one. Peace, even in hard times, God is with me. Even as I rest, God is protecting me. An unhealthy normal stress. I just want it all to end. I can't handle it. What am I doing? This was such a bad idea. Talk about hypervigilance. We're, we're so wired in that I've got to be on guard, that things are going to go wrong. I've got to always keep my guard up. I can't just let go because I've got to look after myself. And part of trust is, I had this vision a couple of weeks ago of sitting on this lazy boy with the feet up and it's like God was saying, you need to learn to just let go. Some of us, we don't know what it's like to let go because we we've learned you can't trust anyone. 
I've got to look after myself. No, you don't. Let God bring a new normal. Some of you are constantly 24-7 on guard. And you've been there since you were little because you've learned that. And it's got you this far, but it won't take you further. What about let God break that off tonight? Here's another one. Love. Oh, this is about other. I'm so excited to share the love of God with others. I might not like you right now, but I'm going to respect you. Unhealthy, normal. These people are a waste of my time. I'll invest into this relationship, but only if I get something back. That's her. Oh, slow down. Ah, oh, this is around sexuality. Um, and it's fr- no, yeah, framed in terms of marriage, but just you apply it to your context. I choose to forgive my wife, husband, for not meeting all my needs. That looks fun or exciting, but it's probably not the best decision. We're an unhealthy normal. I'll just take care of these needs myself. I'm so miserable. I'll just do it anyway. Here's another one. Next one. Acceptance. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Unhealthy, normal, self-hatred. I feel like I'm a mistake. I hate myself. When I look at pictures of me when I was little, I, I don't like that person. When I look in the mirror, I don't like things about that person. That's a, that's a rope. That's a wound. That How are you ever going to step into your destiny if you hate yourself? I'm not, uh, God's going to... God's going to set some people free from some of the stuff tonight. I can already see some of you already triggered some stuff. Okay, another one. Prosperity. You might not like these words, but prosperity. God wants to bless me. God knows what I need. Poverty. I just have to work harder for what I need. I'll never have enough. You know, I remember hiding with my mother in the kitchen with debt collectors banging at the door. It's pretty hard when you, that's wired into you to believe, hey, God's good. God's going to provide you know, that p- a poverty spirit that I'm never going to have enough. Oh, God, God wants to let something of his goodness wash over you. Next one. Purpose. God has plans for my life. God, God is going to make sure I get where I'm supposed to be. As opposed to aimlessness. Why am I alive? I'm so afraid of missing my call. It's like I'm, God's plan is this tightrope. And if I veer off one little bit, then it's all over. And the rest of my life is plan B. It's like God is bigger than that. God is big enough to weave your mistakes and your cock-ups back into his plan. I saw Chris Vallotton said, God has a purpose for your life. He has 400 plans to get you there. You know, God had a purpose for a son, for David to, to be on the throne. Now, he messed up with Bathsheba, but God used Solomon. Come on, God is bigger than your mistakes. But we're so, again, it's all on me and I can't, oh my God, I got the banana cake instead of the chocolate cake and since then I've missed life and it's all been a mistake. Next one. Maybe I can get the musicians to come back. Healthy, normal hope. I can succeed at this. God will defend me. Unhealthy, normal hopelessness. What if I fail? Why expect good things to happen? Don't expect anything good and then you'll never be disappointed. See, that's a that's a... That's a weapon to keep yourself safe, but it's going to hold you back from purpose and destiny. I just felt the Holy Spirit whisper in me and go, for some of you, the, the thought in your mind is, I'm, alo- I'm always al- I'm alone. That's a lie because healthy normal, I was made for community. That's a, that's a lie, I'm, I'm alone. You know, no, you're not alone. 
But you have to risk connecting and you have to let people connect. But Con, the truth, the healthy normal is I belong in community. I belong as part of family. No, you're not alone. I really feel like that's thing for someone here. Next one. Joy. I can experience laughter throughout the day. Even though this is hard, I know God is working his plans for me. Unhealthy, normal, sadness. I'm so lonely and unhappy. Everyone is against me. Next one. Is there another one? That's it. Here's, let me pull this all together. God wants you to move forward into purpose and destiny and significance. Now, I love those stories of these two girls who just carried a dream and somehow they were free enough to just pursue a dream. It started both when they were eight, developed as teenagers, and then, and then you know, and now they're seeing it in their adulthood. I just know I've been a Christian for 40 years. I've been in ministry 30. I know that I still battle to get free from ropes, from, from garments that I've partnered with that are just not helping me anymore from wounds that are holding me back. You can fire up that whenever you like. That will be good. <laughs> and, um, and I just know that God, God just wants to see us free. God wants us to carry dreams and visions. The, the devil's not your problem. He's defeated. The world's not really your problem. The problem is in here and is in here. Because he hurt you when you were little to stop you knowing that you could step out of that rope at any time, that you could walk into purpose and destiny at any time. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.